let's, let's just draw conversation to a close. Let's bring things in. It's, I want you to know that I genuinely considered completely changing what I was going to say this morning. And Jenny and I had a long conversation late last night, um, just wondering how to do this morning, and uh, maybe changing up the teaching program. You know, we have some weeks planned out, and, and thinking of changing that. And but I came to the conclusion late last night, having pondered this and, and prayed about it, that actually, in times like this, the good news of what we have come to believe in Jesus is more relevant, not less relevant. It is more necessary, not less necessary. And the tendency for us might be to shy away from it. And I think that would be a mistake. And so as I look at what I'd I'd thought of saying this morning, I've changed it up a little bit, but generally we're going to go with it because I think it's important that we talk about it. You see... In moments like this, I think people suddenly go, do you know what, I'm tired of abstract, I'm tired of theory, I I just want to get back to basics. Like, I just want you to tell me straight, I just want to know uh, exactly what it is that we're talking about. You know, I don't want want frilly, I don't want fancy, I don't want casual, I, I just want it straight down the line, grounded, earthy, I want to know what, um, what we're actually to do about this. And you know, it's not just that there are major things going on in our nation right now, there are major things going on in our church. You know, we called out three weeks ago, three Sundays ago, we said we're going to embark on 40 days of prayer as a church. And, and since then, I've never known a time like it in church community, where so many people, and many of you are in this room right now, so many people are going through some really challenging circumstances. And so we want to talk about, you know, how do we respond to that? You know, as we called out 40 days of prayer, I realized that there are many things going on in our families and in our lives right now that go on from time to time. But it's, in my opinion, in my view, as I observe it prayerfully, I, it's no coincidence for me that so many things are going on, not just generally, but right here, right now. Because I think that as Angus was praying earlier about you know, the, the enemies, the spiritual forces that are at work in our world, as we think about those things, I think, I think the enemy knows that prayer is powerful more than we know prayer is powerful. And we called out, let's, let's gather and pray. And I think that was a big call for us as a church. So you want to know, well, how do we respond to that? Now, how do, we, how do we live in light of that? Can I encourage you? Now is not the time to get distracted or encouraged. We care well for one another. We look out for one another. Ephesians 6 says this, always keep on praying for all the Lord's holy people. Let us be more vigilant in prayer. Let us lean more into prayer than ever before. And so in this sort of 40 days of prayer, if, um, if you've got the app, you will get um, notifications downloading uh, every day on your phone, letting you know um, that some of the things we're praying for as a church. There's one of these little wall planners at the back, which you can grab, and that just gives you the stuff that's going to come through on the app on a daily basis. Um, one of the other pr- ways of praying, um, if you want to gather together, um, Harnier Street, our city location, is open on Monday evenings. I've been there for the last couple of weeks, and we have had to call time on prayer, like, be quiet, we're going to go to bed, um, sort of thing. It's been incredible. 
And so especially in light of what's gone on in the last week, especially in light of what's going on in the lives of people in this church community, can we prioritize prayer? Can we lean in all the more? But here's the other thing. Can we continue to discover what it actually looks like to follow Jesus? You know, because we don't follow Jesus in a vacuum. We don't follow Jesus in isolation from everyday life. This is far from casual Christianity. In fact, I think if, I, I think if you are a casual Christian in our day, it's going to get too difficult. <laughs> Can I be honest and say, I don't know that you're going to last very long. If your Christian faith is just about Sunday services, if it's just about ticking the religious box, I don't know that you're going to be with us very much longer. Because it's too difficult following Jesus these days. It's too hard. This has to be genuine for us. We have to discover what it looks like together. What does it actually mean in our day, in our generation, in the midst of all the pain and the distress and the brokenness of our world? What does it actually look like to follow Jesus? Because I'm fed up with all of the the paraphernalia. I just want to know, how do I actually follow Jesus And one of the reasons I think this is so important is because our world longs for goodness. And our world longs for love. And our world longs for hope. Because God has put those things in people's hearts because he made them. And I wonder in our day, in people's distress, as they maybe begin to wonder why those things aren't being met, I wonder if they will see that goodness and that life and that love and that hope. In us, not because we're any better, but because we've discovered one who is better. And that's the message of Hebrews. Jesus is better, better to anything that went before, better than anything that will ever be. And and, and the letter that was written in the first century to the Hebrews that has that message, Jesus is better, 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 better. As the writer comes to the last two chapters begins to land the letter. He's like, right, I'm going to transition now. How does all this stuff about the greatness of Jesus translate into everyday life? And if you've been tracking with us through Hebrews 12, 13, you'll have have heard us talk about lots of aspects of life. And today, I think that that where we get to in verse 7 to 9 is all the more important. I don't know if you, any of you are into tramping. That was a weird transition. But anyway, I don't know if any of you are in to tramping. You know those colored triangles that mark the trails? As I look in this passage today, I see three of those brightly colored triangles. I see markers for the trail of following Jesus. That's what we're going to look at this morning. But I think over those three sort of general markers, I see one overarching one. And this is it. This is the big thing you're going to take away today. Even if you're not in a place where you believe in Jesus yet, or maybe you used to and you're like, I'm not so sure anymore. You can know that this is what we believe today. You can know, like you don't have to believe it to know that this is what we believe and this is what we want you to take away today. This is my big idea. If it is not grace, it is not Jesus. Turn to the person next to you. Say, if it's not grace, it's not Jesus. So great. And as you're doing that, don't start a conversation again. (laughs) Turn in your Bibles. Look at the screens. We're going to go to Hebrews 13, verse 7. I'm going to start reading. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. Imitate their faith. 
Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations since those who observe them have not benefited. Our Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord God, that we're not here today to air opinions, share thoughts. God, we gather around these holy scriptures. We believe we're inspired by you. We believe though written uh, 2,000 years ago and further further back than that, we believe they are as relevant and as life-giving and as life-changing now as they ever were. And so, God, we're hungry for truth today. We're hungry for for your word. We're hungry, Lord God, for how do we actually do this? Holy Spirit, I pray, would you reveal to us more and more today what these words mean and how they're to translate into everyday life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The challenge for the Hebrew church is that they had started out really well in following Jesus. And and, and they'd begun to live that out. And yet we come to a point in this letter where we realize that they have been led astray. They've been leaving the trail. And so this letter comes to encourage them in the strongest possible terms. Get back on track. Come back into line. Come back actually genuinely following Jesus. And you know, the same is there for us. The same risk is there for us that we get led astray by other teaching. That we There is so much information in our world. There are so many opinions out there. You can find a study to back up just about anything. A friend of mine on staff actually um, follows the Flat Earth Society on Facebook. You know, I think he just does it for a laugh. But anyway, you can find an opinion out there for anything. So how do we know that actually the ones we're following, the teaching we're following is actually the right one? And you know, it's not just errant teaching that can actually lead you astray. It's discouragement. It's trauma. It's situations. It's circumstances. It's busyness. All of these things can lead us thinking, man, this is too hard. Man, this is too difficult. It must be. If, if, if this was following Jesus, surely it would be easier than this. And for all of us today, I want to say, can we check ourselves and make sure that we're on the right trail? Here's marker number one, verse seven, trial marker number one. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. This is a really interesting one, okay? Consider the outcome of their lives. See, I think we're quite familiar with imitate one another. Like, look to people around you who are actually following Jesus, you know, and and, and imitate their lives. Work out what it is that's good about that and follow them. But this is talking about something different. This is saying, consider the outcome of their lives. It's saying, consider the way they exited this life. He's talking about people who are at the end of their life and still following Jesus. Or maybe people who have already passed on, who, who, who right up till the end were still following Jesus. He's saying, look at them and imitate their faith. In other words, imitate the way they trusted God in their everyday lives. It's like if you want to know you're on the right track in terms of following Jesus... The the very best people for us to look at are those who actually made it to the finish line. 
who actually got there. Like, surely, if, if you want to know whether you're following the right trail or not, look for people who actually finished the trail. And imitate the way they went. Imitate the things that they did in their lives. I think this flies in the face of our culture because we love instant. We love the new. We love any new teaching. We love any new theory. We love any new study. Like you can get all the information you will ever want. And yet, and yet I think if we are all about that, what it leads us to do is never consider what's the long-term effect of that. Like are the people who are even sharing that with me, has it even worked long-term in their lives? I think it flies in the face of culture. You know, we live in this social media age where so many of us compare our lives to the best moments of other people's lives. You know, one of the real tragedies is that people are so worried about shame of what people might think if they knew what was really going on, that they post these, they put these photos on social media that aren't just like their best moments, they're actually purposefully there hiding what's really going on because they just don't want people to know that actually they're not okay. We cannot be comparing ourselves to, to, to other people's best moments. We're to take a step back and say, who's actually finished this race well? I'm going to look to them and say, what do I understand? What do I learn from their life? about what it actually looks like to follow Jesus. I was on a plane four years ago, flying from Delhi to Bangalore. Um, I was actually reading Doug Pollock's book, God's Space. So, little plug for conference, uh, Doug, Pollock's, Doug Pollock's coming over. And this book changed the way I saw spiritual conversations. If you have not yet got yourself registered for conference, please do. You can also buy a copy of the book that I was looking at. Anyway, so I'm in, I'm sat there in a seat and I get onto the plane and God's like, this time is not your own. I'm like, okay, great. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, and so I sit down and this book, God's Space, is just tucking out of my bag and this Indian guy says to me, oh, God's Space, that looks interesting. I'm like, I'm not sure you think that is what I think it is, but anyway, all good. And he starts talking to me about his Hindu faith. And I love, I love listening to people about where they are, about what they believe. Like, I love hearing about it. And maybe for three hours, like, I'm just listening and asking questions. And, and I'm lost in, in all, of the, all of the knowledge and all of the understanding this guy has. And I'm also, like, quietly aware that I think it's illegal to share Jesus in India in public. So I'm like, I also got that in my mind right now. Like, this is, like, not Spiritual Conversations 101. Anyway... And, and I just found myself lost in all of the thinking. And, and I said to him, he, he, he then began to talk about the sand timer of life and the grains of sand going through. I was like, okay, okay. I said to him, when it comes to the last grain of sand, what then? And he says, I don't know. I don't know. He had so much knowledge and so much understanding and so much to share with me. And yet in the cold light of day, as we stood back together, he had no clarity on at the end of his life what that would actually mean. Can I say to you, dear people, you are too precious for such a lack of uncertainty. Too precious for that. Consider 
people who made it to the end and imitate their faith. I'm so grateful for people in my life, older men that I've had throughout my spiritual journey who have been an example to me. A friend of mine, and some of you would know him, for some of you he's a precious friend to to you as well. A friend of mine has just found out that lung cancer has come back aggressively for him. And, 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 And he said what came across his mind as he found out the news was a Bible verse. And in that moment, he says, I know that I am in God's perfect hands. I want to finish like that. I want to be like that guy. I want to hear news like that and still be full of faith and still trusting in Jesus. Don't you? Like, I want that level of certainty at the end of life. So as I look at his life, as I look at the, at the outcome of the way he has lived, I want to know, okay, friend, what decisions did you make daily to follow Jesus? Because I need to imitate that because I want to finish like that. I've got a friend in the UK. Um, he was in his 70s when I came to faith, sort of in my early 20s. And I said, Tom, you know how to pray. People talk about it. Would you teach me? And I would go and sit in like the caravan in the front garden of his house. Like it was so weird. And, um, and, and we would spend time praying. He taught me to pray. Recently in the last year, he spent long bouts of uh, time in hospital and he has spent his day sharing Jesus with anybody who will listen. I want to finish like that. I want to still be trusting Jesus in my 80s like him. So then I'm like, okay, Tom, how did you live? How did you trust Jesus in your daily life? What did people criticize you for, Tom, that was just too hard out? But actually has been a discipline for you in finishing well. I want to imitate people like him. He was a guy that encouraged me to read books on Smith Wigglesworth and George Muller and Charles Spurgeon and John Wesley. Man of faith, man who finished their race well because he was teaching me this principle, imitate their faith because they finished well. Who are we following? Can we honestly say that this is a marker for us? Can I say, I think we need to, sp- I love the fact that East is this like cross-generational community. Can I say, if you see people who are older than you that are following Jesus well, invite them out for a coffee. And if you are older and people ask for a coffee with you, don't be offended. It is a compliment. (laughs) It's a compliment because they're saying, I want to know. I want to know the secret because I'm genuine about my faith and I'm seeing that you are too. Don't dismiss. Don't dismiss the generation that has gone before you. Read books. Find old sermons from people who finished the race well and find out what was it. What was it about them and the way they trusted? The thing is that the readers of this letter has heard the truth of following Jesus and they'd followed Jesus and now they were being led astray by something new, something fresh. And and verse 8 challenges that. Here's our second marker. Jesus Christ is the same. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He never changes. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today. He is the same tomorrow and forever will be. I was preparing and working through all of this last night and a friend calls me and says, how are you? And, and I said, I'm just resting with tomorrow, if I'm honest. And he said to me, Simon, come on, mate. You know the answer is Jesus. 
I'm like, oh, that's all right in kids' ministry, you know. But we want, we want better answers, don't we? You know, we want more intellectual answers. And yet, can I say that it is true? It is true. It is true. He is the answer. He always has been. He still is and he always will be. He is the almighty one. He is the victorious one. He is the supreme one. He has always been the answer. He still is and he always will be. I wonder if we are just reeling a little bit today. Maybe because of stuff that's going on in your life. And you're discouraged. I want to say to you, you need to come back to Jesus. He's the certainty. He's the one that's still the same. It may be that in the, all the stuff that's gone on in Christchurch, it may be that you're reeling. You're wondering which way is up. You're wondering if this nation will ever be the same again. Can I say, come back to this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. And you know, I've been reeling at times, not just about this, but about lots of different things in our culture. And here's what I come back to. Hebrews 1 starts off with seven statements of greatness about Jesus. And here's one of them. He sustains all things by his powerful word. That word sustains really means carrying. It means Jesus Christ is carrying human history to a predetermined conclusion. And so can I say this? Well, all of the tact, and yet with all of the force that it needs, Jesus Christ is not reeling. Jesus Christ is not surprised. Jesus Christ is not flustered. He is not overwhelmed by the, situ- by the circumstances in our nation and by the circumstances in your life. And the thing is, this is so important that we grasp this church. Because people in our nation are waking up today wondering about hope and wondering about goodness and wondering about life and love. And my prayer is, at this time, as people have questions, would they begin to see answers in the way you and I live and in the perspective that you and I have? Because we believe. In Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would we understand that when it comes to the problem of evil, you and I have the most incredible answer? When it comes to the uncertainty of our days, you and I have the greatest news. And now is not the time to shrink back from that. Now is the time to stand in it. Now is the time to pray about it. Now is the time to share it as and when appropriate. So we look to those who have gone before. We look to Jesus. But can I say we look to grace? We look to grace. Verse 9 says, Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be established by grace. Your heart is like the the place of character and will. It's out of there come our desires. It's out of there come our attitudes. It's out of there comes our speech and and our actions. That's what comes out of our heart. And this scripture says that it is good for our hearts to be established. When we're wavering to be stabilized. To be to be founded somewhere. And this is the way you stabilize a floundering heart is by Grace. You know, grace is a word that you will hear me talk about frequently. It is such an important word for me. And one of the reasons it's so important 
Okay, it's because it is critical to following Jesus that we understand what grace is. And yet it's so often misunderstood. People think that grace just means Jesus accepts me as I am. That's part of it. But it is nowhere near the full picture. Did you know grace, the word hades in the Greek, appears in the New Testament more than the word agape, which is a, a, a predominant word for love. We know a lot about love, but do we know about grace? Grace, hear me right, is the means by which God works in your life from beginning to end as a free gift. Never, ever earned. Never, ever deserved. Never, ever attained to in and of ourselves. It is the way God works in your life from beginning to end. Even if you don't yet believe in Him, I believe He's wooing you. He's drawing you by grace as a free gift. And so right now, what I want to do is just take you through some verses that talk about grace outside of Hebrews, but I just want to build a little bit of a theology for us. There are 159 references to grace, so we're not going to go through every single one of them, but we are going to go through four or five right now. Okay, Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We will always underestimate the greatness of the glory of God. How holy other He is. His character is so pure it literally shines. That's what glory means. And we will always underestimate how far you and I, in living our own way, in doing our own thing, in ignoring God, we will always underestimate just how far short we fell from that glory. But in the court of human history, in the court that stands before God, you and I are declared guilty because of our sin, guilty because of our falling short. But we find in that moment that God in Christ Jesus has provided a way for you to be declared right. That's what justified means before the court, declared absolutely right. The price has already been paid. And how does God do that for you? By grace. Declared right as a free gift. Then you go to Romans 6.14 and it says this, For sin will not rule over you because you are not under law but under grace. You know, it isn't just the means by which we come to believe in God, by which we come to be declared right. Grace is the way God also empowers transformation in your life. So you don't have to live according to those old patterns, but you can actually be set free to live a brand new life, no longer falling short of God's glory, but actually becoming more and more like the glory of God day by day. And God does that work in your life, not by effort, not because you're storing up good works, but by grace as a free gift. Romans 12, 6 then says this. I'm just going to keep going with verses. I'm just going to pound you until you give in, okay? According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Paul's talking in Romans 12 about how we serve one another, how we build up, how we help mature one another, encourage one another to become more like Jesus. And God does that by, by, by giving us different gifts that we can use to serve one another. How does he give you those gifts? Oh, because some of us are better than others. He does it by grace. He just gives you those things so that you can be a part of building one another up. 2 Thessalonians 2.16, when we talk about that final grain of sand of our life, 2 Thessalonians 2.16 says this, 
May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal encouragement and good hope by grace. Why do I believe that I will inherit eternal life? Why, do I, why am I confident that when I come to that last grain of sand or when Jesus returns, why am I confident that I will stand in that day? Is it because I believe that having believed in Jesus, I've got this now and, and I reckon I can do enough to earn it from him? Is it, is it because I think I've already stored up enough good stuff in the bank and I'm sure God's just going to love me for it? I have eternal hope and you can have eternal hope in Jesus because he gives it to you by grace as a free gift. And yet in our distress, in our discomfort, in the things of life that can so overwhelm us, grace has an answer there too. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul, the writer of that letter to the Corinthians, is struggling. He says, three times I've asked God to take this away from me, and he still hasn't. But this is Paul's confidence. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. It's, grace is the great enabling of God in your life. It means when you come to the end of yourself, he's still at work. And you know what? So often we come to the end of ourselves and we go, I can't even do this anymore. Like if I thought I was trying to attain something before God by, before God by effort, I don't have any effort anymore. I'm tired. I'm wanting to check out. But grace means that God enables you to keep going. Grace means that he's still at work in your life. Grace means that actually through those circumstances, he's still making you more like Jesus. And actually through that, you're still being an example to others. Grace is the means by which God works in your life from beginning to end. And so as I look at the people that, that, that have gone before me that reached the finish line, well, it makes me wonder. I wonder if one of the things in their life was grace. And when I look at Jesus, the one who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, I realize that the message he came with was a message of grace, the gospel of grace. And so I think it leaves us with a challenge where we say, Am I, is it genuine for me to say, that today my heart is being strengthened, not by my own effort, not by my own sense of worth or my own sense of ability, but is my heart being strengthened today by grace? Think of it this way. When you come into a church service, right? let's say you come into a gathering like this, and there's a call to worship. You know, There's a call to praise. There's a call to sing. Are you... When you come to that moment, you think, am I ready to draw near? Are you thinking, I've prayed this week, and I've read my Bible this week, and I was kind this week, therefore I feel okay to come before God and worship. That's not strengthening your heart by grace. That's strengthening your heart by works. Actually, strengthening your heart by grace is going, do you know what? I haven't done enough. I could never do enough. But because of grace, I draw near anyway. I'm acceptable before God anyway. 
because of Jesus. I wonder if some of you avoid church sometimes. Maybe you don't show up to life group sometimes because you're like, I, I've messed up this week. I, I'm going to sort myself out before I go back. I'm going to sort myself out before I turn up to life group. Now, that's not strengthening your heart by grace. That's effort. Strengthening your heart by grace is saying, do you know what? I was never good enough in the first place, regardless of whether I just messed up. I'm coming anyway, Jesus. Because I know that my approach before you is only ever by grace. Let's not be a church that finds our strength in, well, I'm serving and I'm giving and I'm being good. Let us be a church that strengthens our heart by grace. You know, I think grace also means that we get to trust God in all circumstances. Because we're not saying, I'm okay if the world is okay. I'm only okay if circumstances and situations are all as I think they should be. Grace means in the midst of all that is going on right now, I can be okay before God because it was always and forever by grace. And I'm trusting him to bring things around to the right conclusion. You know, the biggest, gra- the biggest grace question of all is this. When you come to that last grain of sand, when you come to the end of the sand timer, to use that euphemism, what's your plea then? Are you hoping to have done enough? Are you hoping that, that, that maybe God will look upon you and be pleased with you? Or will your plea in that be, in that moment be, I was never good enough. But Jesus is good enough. And he makes me good enough. By grace. And so I want to be blunt today and say, you are so welcome in this space. Whatever you believe. But we're beyond messing around. Your life matters. What you believe when that last grain of sand comes, matters. Are you in grace today? Or are you working it out for yourself today? Because if you're not in grace, can I encourage you to step into that right now? And say, Jesus, I believe you love me. I believe you died for me to pay the price for my sin so that I could be declared right before God as a gift of grace. And in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If that's the cry of your heart today, I want to give you some words to call out to God and say, I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready to turn. I'm ready to believe in you. I'm ready to begin this journey of following Jesus. But as I do, I think there's some of you here also who have been following Jesus, but maybe you've lost your way a little bit. Maybe as we've been talking this morning, you're like, do you know what? Maybe there's a little bit too much effort for me. Maybe there's a bit too much pride for me. Today, I want to come back to grace. So as we pray right now, you might want to say, actually, I want to come back to grace right now. I want to remind my soul to be strengthened by grace. And then we're going to worship. And then we're going to share communion. Should we pray together? Jamie, you want to bring your team up? Let's pray together. And in this moment, if you say, right now, I'm ready to say that I believe in Jesus. And what anybody else around you thinks right now is completely irrelevant. But before God right now, if you are ready to say, I believe 
in Jesus. And I have no idea what that will mean. But I want to be declared right by grace. I want to be renewed by grace. I want a new life. <laughs> I, want to do, I want to begin this journey of following Jesus. If you are ready for that, then right now where you are, I just want you to put your hand up real quick and put it back down. This is just between you and God. But if that's you right now, just put your hand up real quick and put it back down and let's pray together. Oh, Father, I want to thank you for your great love. And I want to acknowledge right now that my, the way I have lived has separated me from you. And I need grace. And so as I turn to you right now, I say, I'm sorry for the way I've lived. And I believe that Jesus Christ died in my place so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be declared right, so that I could be given new life, and so that I could live this life with a confidence and a hope of eternal life. Not because I am good enough, but because you are good enough. And so today... Though I don't know really what I'm doing, I'm setting my course towards you. I'm saying I want to begin to follow Jesus. Oh, Father, I thank you for anyone in this space right now praying that prayer for the first time. God, I thank you that you're faithful when we turn and confess our sin before you. You're faithful to forgive. You lavish us with your grace. You never run out of grace. And I thank you that you're faithful to pour your Holy Spirit into our lives, the very power and presence of God to lead us from this day forward. Thank you, God, that you bring us into the community of the church absolutely and genuinely. And I pray, Lord God, that we would be an incredible grace community that knows we'll make mistakes, that knows we'll get it wrong, and yet encourages one another to keep going because it's not about effort. It's about the wonderful, inexhaustible, extravagant gift of your grace. And I pray, Lord God, for us as a church today, that, Lord God, you would teach us to follow you more closely so that we might be a light in the darkness, so that we might be hope where there is despair, so that we might love where there is hatred, so that we might forgive where there is retaliation, that we might be a more and more genuine reflection of the glory and greatness of Jesus in our generation. And so we give ourselves to you again today. And Lord, as we worship, and Lord, as we share communion right now, bread and juice, symbols that remind us of the body and the blood of Jesus sacrificed for us in the most expensive way and then given to us for free. As we share these symbols right now, Lord God, remind our souls of grace again, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.